Welcome right into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the snare campaign provocateur, and you will never catch him being introduced with Nickelback as his walk-up music. Ooh. It's Benny Horowitz. What's up, dude? I mean, the angels, they curse themselves. Between angels in the outfield and now this, they have no chance. Denny, listen, my brother's been making fun of me all week. You want to know why? Why? Because I'm Mr. Like Outdoors forest guy now, and I am covered in poison ivy. <laughs> And he keeps calling me Chevy Chase and Funny Farm. I don't know if you've seen <laughs> of that movie. I've seen Funny Farm. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, you know what? I'm not as bad. And he said maybe I should try some lamb fries, which I think are sheep testicles. <laughs> and and then he challenged me. He said, I think Chevy Chase ate 27 in the movie. And I know I haven't eaten meat like significantly in a long time, but I think I could eat 27 sheep testicles. They're probably small. Like oyster mushrooms, right? I think you should. Well, if they're fried, I feel like you yeah, have a fried like breaded. a much better chance. Yeah, because yeah, that whole deal. Because like, do you remember? And I, I know that this is probably completely out out of your wheelhouse, but uh, on the Corden show, you know, the Late Late Show, he sure, he, he, sure. he he has his bit where he has uh, it's like it's like spill your guts or like eat something right. gross. I've and seen he, it, and, and he has them eat testicles sheep testicles right oh yeah farrell did it yeah 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 yeah. i saw that (laughs) yeah and they seemed okay yeah well because i was saying like what would you compare it to is this like comparing it to 27 mozzarella sticks Mm. or like or like 27 like pickle chips like Mm. like what are we looking at here i think you gotta think squishy so i i the closest thing I think most people probably eat are like oysters. I feel like that's a pretty good comp to what testicles like a fried would be oyster, like. Yeah, fried yeah. oyster mushroom, something yeah, like that. Yeah, dude, I could definitely eat twenty-seven <laughs> of those. Come on, get the fuck out of here. You know, I ate fourteen grilled cheese sandwiches once in a contest. So I mean, twenty-seven was... little tiny little oyster sheep testicles. Yeah, four scoop of chocolate, scoop of vanilla. <laughs> Don't waste my time. <laughs> 14 grilled cheese sandwiches. Was this before 18 or after 18? Oh, well after. This was against Alex Levine Mm. of the Gaslight Anthem in an epic grilled cheese eating competition that took place in Austin, Texas. What year? I'm talking Brian Fallon, Andy Diamond in referee t-shirts, whistles, like whole deal. It was great. But, it was great. But like the year, though, because when... Oh, the year... Early 20s, been... late 20s. Late. Uh, oh, wow. It's yeah. impressive. This is actually yeah. really... Late. The The year would have... Maybe mid. The year would have been about 06, 07, okay. I bet. The stakes were the loser of the competition had to get a grilled cheese sandwich with wings tattooed on Ooh. themselves. So high stakes. Yeah, it's very high stakes. And... Let me tell you my method because you'll like it. Okay. I went in super cool. Aviator glasses, stone face. <laughs> Only thing on the table was my phone with the stopwatch setting, a cup of water, and my grilled cheese sandwiches. And I came up with a plan, which is I was going to cut them into, I believe, fourths, maybe sixths, if I, if I, if I remember correctly. And I timed it, and I was fucking dipping. I was doing the whole thing. And, of course, Alex comes out the gate. just He's up about, like, two sandwiches. And I stick to my guns because I think this is going to work. And we have an hour. And then about midway through, we get about even. And then at about 40 minutes, 
I'm like a sandwich up and I can tell he's struggling. So this is what I do. Yeah. Pull off the glasses. First thing I say to him in 40 minutes, put him down. I go, you're done. I'm up a sandwich. Every bite you take, I'm going to take two. And he's struggling or he's like this. And he's like, and then I'm like, and I throw it down. And of course he couldn't catch up. I ended up winning about 14 sandwiches to 12. Wow. And sure enough, young fella has a uh, grilled cheese sandwich with wings tattooed on his body. Wow. Well, you know what segment is tattooed <laughs> on our body? That that one took me a minute. <laughs> What's that? Then? It's this day in music history. <laughs> so this is a great one for me because uh, because I it, it's so poignant on many levels mm-hmm. to me. On this day in 2007, mm-hmm. in the last scene of famed HBO series, New Jersey HBO series, The Sopranos. Don't Stop Believing by Journey plays on the jukebox while Tony Soprano sits at the diner. It cuts to black on the line. Don't stop. I mean, this is literally one of the biggest moments in television history, perfectly executed with a great song, one of my favorite songs. But I didn't know the story, and I don't know if you do. Apparently, because of the violent nature of The Sopranos, Steve Perry, you know, lead vocalist, co-writer of the song. He feared it would be part of some like gruesome retribution scene at the end. And he insisted on knowing that it wasn't going to be that before he allowed use of the song. So Steve Perry had to be told, granted permission, the ending, and then sworn to secrecy so they could use the song. Um, And then, of course, afterwards, I mean... You know, great songs last. It's not like Don't Stop Believing was going away, but it jumped to like a new level. And apparently in 2008, uh, Apple announced it was the first pre-digital era song to be downloaded over two million times, which I think is really significant. I mean, they literally set the record for most digital downloads for old people shit in the modern era. You know, if this was sports stats... This would be like a Hank Aaron type of thing here. <laughs> so big this day in music history for Journey. Wow. Don't stop believing, you know? That's super funny that, that you brought that up specifically this week because a oldie but a goodie is back on the charts. Running Up That Hill by Kate Bush is yeah. back on the charts because of Stranger Things. Your girl, Kate Bush. <laughs> I'll tell you, man, you were meant to be like a Renaissance fair lady in the 80s. <laughs> Take that, that how your, you will that was, your, that was your destiny. <laughs> All right, Benny. Well, this day, I, I'm, I'm going to go with the rare birthday on this day in music history this oh, week. Okay. Born this day in 1922, Judy Garland. That's right. Mm. You, you know her from The Wizard of Oz uh, in 1939, Over the Rainbow. Um, in 1961, her comeback album, Judy at Carnegie Hall. Uh, was voted one of the songs of the century in a uh, 2001 poll, um, you know, that kind of recapped the entire century there. Uh, She died of an overdose on June 22nd, 1969. But, uh, yeah, big ups. So happy birthday, Judy Garland. And uh, she famously uh, portrayed in the Oscar-winning film Judy, portrayed by Renee Zellweger. Uh, Renee Zellweger does a great job in that film. So, yeah, happy birthday, Judy Garland, this day, 1922. Big ups. I never knew she uh, she OD'd. Yeah. And did you know she was born Frances Ethel Gum? 
Gum, like G U M. G U M M. I mean, that is not a Hollywood name, no. Francis Ethel Gum. She made a good move on that one. At what point with every name does it? Because, like, I'm I'm sure that there was a time in history where, where people would be like, "Oh, look at F- Ethel. Ethel's looking fine today." Now, if you say it, it's kind of funny. I yeah. Listen, I tried to name my kid Herman, and I was I was scraped. I love these old people names. I think they're great. Wait, let's. But they do make they do make comebacks though. Yeah. That's the thing. Is like it will be cool again at some point. This is how it's like neighborhoods. Yeah. Names names just go peaks and valleys. You know. Were you all set to name Kid Herman, and then like the Herman Kane campaign no, happened, and your no, wife was like, no, no. <laughs> no. There are so many Hermans to to you know. It was more like Herm. I loved like the idea of like what's up Herm, but uh, yeah, I was like. It was one of those things my wife, you know, she yeah. she she amused me for a while with this, but it was never <laughs> taken seriously in her in her mind. <laughs> I like and and honestly probably good move, you know. I super imagine you like watching like a Herm Edwards press conference and you're like I'm going to name my kid her. <laughs> Yo, I got to tell you, really the thing that was in my head the entire time. Yeah was big worm from friday oh and the whole time i was like oh what's up big herm like how chris tucker says oh what's up big worm so that was really what was in my head the whole time and i just had these fascinations of like me and some little kid and me being able to go oh come on big herm what's up man you know i just thought it'd be fun i love that and it would have been for me yeah but you know these weird variables in life you know like like these weird things like, oh, if I'm an inch taller, if I'm an inch shorter, if I have this kind of hair, or eye color, like things will go a different way for me. You know, I think we gave our kid a better chance yeah. in life 100%. by not naming them Herman. Probably. 100%. All right, Benny, first headline today, and it is an update on a previous tune-up story. It's looking like Madonna has likely found her Madonna. Julia Garner is the front runner to land the role of the pop icon in the upcoming Universal biopic directed by Madonna herself. So she's doing the funding, she's doing the directing, she's doing the casting, um, and it looks like a they're in in talks for this deal. Um, if a deal is done, the inventing and the star would earn the opportunity to portray Madonna after a months long process that included choreography sessions. We've talked about this as well as singing and reading sessions with Madonna herself. What an intimidating opportunity that sounds like. Uh, she beat out a bunch of other actresses. We've talked about this before. And I'm, I'm, I'm super curious. So they've done the process up close, but I want to ask you, Benny Horowitz, yeah. which previous Garner role do you think got Madonna's attention? Do you think it was Inventing Anna or Ozark? I think it's Ozark 100%. <laughs> And it, and I think it's because I watched Ozark. I'm an Ozark fan. I've watched all of it. She's easily maybe my favorite part of the show. I mean, as the show goes on, there's almost no one to like eventually. <laughs> but she is definitely one of my favorite parts of the show. And automatically, one of the things I thought about when they talked about casting this Madonna movie was like, you need some version of this like, early Madonna in New York, who was like a punk rocker going to clubs, playing in bands, like doing the thing who obviously had like a quick mouth and like could get at people and knew how to survive in that. And that's like kind of a hard character for a lot of young women to play. And they literally found like, like the Ozark character (laughs) 
with a different accent could be Madonna, like like from not not so murderous yeah. and like illegal, you know, because she does terrible things. But that character definitely like for some reason just easily illustrated to me her ability to do some young version of Madonna. It made perfect sense. And and, you know, I hate this stuff sometimes and I'm usually very skeptical. I'm also a big Madonna fan, as you know, and I heard this one and I was like, perfect. Yeah, perfect. I like everything about her. Like they just seem the same and they got the right vibe. As as you said, Madonna's behind the casting, so she obviously likes it. The inventing Anna thing, I mean, I don't know about you. I can just the accent alone, I had no idea what the fuck I was listening to, <laughs> and I was so thrown off. I could not take that shit seriously. <laughs> but so I definitely think it's more Ozark. What about you? That inventing inventing Anna show was so funny, man. Like <laughs> just do like the voice. I I, I was doing I the voice do for weeks. That's tragic. Yeah. <laughs> tragic. Oh, why are you the money? No, it's so money. great. <laughs> I couldn't. I but couldn't. I think what that show, I, I think that show gave Madonna the final piece. Be like, oh, like this girl can al- also capture like um, high class and like glamour. Yeah. yeah. And the glamour yeah, part. True. So I think you combine those two shows and, and that was like, Madonna was like, let me get this girl's phone number real quick. So That's I'm good point. so excited yeah. for this show. I hope it's not a Netflix show. Oh, no, it, it, it's universal. So it's going to come out in, in theaters. This yep. is going to be box office, man. This is going to be bananas. What? Like, like now that people have been doing these for a long time, like what? what's the upper echelon of these films? Like, what, what are people aspiring to? What are the best ones? The, is it Ray? Ooh, like that was quite Ray's good. Ray's up there. Walk the lines up Walk there. Walk the line, maybe. I yeah. liked Respect. Um, I, I I thought that that was good, honestly. And I hate to say it, I think I think that this Elvis one's gonna be really good. You do. I do. You have high expectations. You know, I can't stand I the Boz Lerman stuff. <laughs> yeah. Because he like tries to get too cute with it. It's like I don't need. Doja Cat or Diplo in an El- making movie making music for an Elvis movie. I don't need that. But Austin Butler, this this these are the kind of roles that turn people into household names. Yeah. So I'm so, I'm I'm far more skeptical on that one than you. Give me um if I I buy Madonna stock. You know I'm buying I'm buying yeah. Madonna stock. I'm not buying Elvis stock right now. Um I don't buy Elvis stock, but I, I think that there's two women in entertainment that their dating prefaces make stars. I think we've talked about the Jenners a bunch, and then the guys that Vanessa Hudgens chooses to date <sighs> normally go on to become these wow. big movie stars, right. so it's crazy. Right. Great scouting departments. <laughs> Great scouting departments. <laughs> All right, Benny, let's move on to our next headline today, mm. and we have a... a, a the, the Grammys are trying to appeal to us. That's what I got from this headline. Uh, the Grammys are adding a special Song for Change award uh, among five new categories that include Songwriter of the Year, giving the Recording Academy an avenue to honor music's best composers. So, like, just mark up Jack Antonoff as a Grammy winner for the next six <laughs> years. But I'm, I'm super curious what you think about uh, the, the Grammys expanding and... Is this a push to try to be more inclusive, or do you just think that this is trying to get more eyeballs to their awards? I mean, yes and yes. Yeah. You know, like that those are not mutually exclusive, and I think definitely hand in hand. The one that really stood out to me 
that seems to fit both of what you were talking about is the score soundtrack for video games. Hmm. You know, like I, I think it's definitely time. You know, these things are like the best selling musical pieces of a year sometimes. And they're beautiful. You know what I mean? Like it or not, like somebody composed it, somebody did it. It's musical, it's art. And, and, and a real musician and talented people put a lot of time and effort into it. And if that many people are purchasing it on such a large scale, then why wouldn't it be in something like this? And so for something like that, I think it answers your first question in both. I think it's the natural progression of as, music moves and taste moves and consumers move you have to move the awards around and then as a result you know it opens up to to the nerds who are really <laughs> invested in like who's who's making video game stuff yeah. but you know i mean how many voiceovers have you heard o- over the years of like really legitimate actors and yeah. stuff who are getting paid enormous amounts of money to use their uh voices in video games yeah. and stuff so i think it's uh it's good they should keep moving, and and as things change, they should change. We need to retroactively go back and give the NBA Live 2005 soundtrack a Grammy because that thing was that thing was <laughs> off the charts, dude. There's honestly there are some <laughs> weird songs that pop on somewhere. Like I'm in like a sports bar in like Idaho, and and all of a sudden I'm like bobbing my head and singing like along to something. I'm like. What the? I don't even know this fucking song. And I'm like looking at the sky. And then I remember, I'm like, oh, yeah. Madden, 06. Heard that song about 1,500 times. You know, like like that happens to me all the time. It it does. That shit gets gets ingrained, you know? Whether you like it or not, if you hear a song a thousand times, you're going to kind of start to like it. Yeah, it's true. All right, Benny, to the sports we go. Sports adjacent, sports controversy, geopolitical adjacent. Oh, boy. Let's talk Our about wheelhouse. Let's, huh? let's talk about Club Live PGA Tour Edition, shall we? The PGA okay. has suspended 17 members who are competing in the inaugural Live Golf, L I V Golf, or Live Golf, however you want to say it. Uh, the international series backed by the Saudi government. You know, this is kind of how this podcast works. We pick up on a story when it first drops you know you kind of hear about uh, us uh talking about phil's comments about the saudi government and then we kind of get into this thing actually existing and being in the world and even more pga tour players have taken uh the money to join this thing well the pga tour benny has fought back and the pga tour has suspended these 17 members of uh of the pga tour that are participating in this and so these players cannot participate in any tour events or the President's Cup. Uh, players like Phil Mickelson have said that the move to live allows for golfers to have negotiating power with the PGA, who has very famously kind of kept their thumb on the golfers and how much that their earning potential can possibly be. In response, we've also seen the PGA Tour raise the grand prize for many of these events in response to this. So uh, there's, there's a lot going on here. There, uh, You have seen guys making hundreds of millions of dollars just to be a part of this. So, Benny, is the PGA suspending these individuals a proper response, or do you think that it's a bit of an overreaction? Well, here, you know, I'd like to just start out with the fact that, like, I don't want to say I have, like, a super well-informed opinion on this Mm -hmm. because I haven't followed this league closely prior to this, and I don't know if a lot of people have. 
So that's where, well, I'm sure a lot of people have, but there's a lot of people commenting on it now who are kind of just privy to it because of this controversy. So I don't know if they've suspended a lot of players in the past for doing this kind of stuff, if there's some kind of track record that made them, you know, go over the top. But, you know, it also appears to me that, you know, their hands were kind of tied a little bit, you know, as far as, uh, you know, I guess the future of their business. And they were sort of called to task a little by like Phil Mickelson and this really ass backwards way he did. And if they listened to that, made the first statements they did, then allowed everybody to mutually play in all these tournaments, I think, at that point, it was like an optics thing. And then they're trying to save themselves as kind of the premier golf league in the world or something. And when someone's tossing all this money out at someone else, like, I guess they're almost like giving these golfers a chance to to, to go see. And if it fucks up, you know, almost like a I told you so sort of thing. Um, that's the only thing I can make of it. I, I don't know. What do you make of this? It seems like a real eight men out situation, right? With like the Black Sox, where it's like, you know, you have a ownership group in a, a sports league that has dominated and, and kind of has their hand on the money a lot, kind of like baseball in like the 20s and like 30s. And an opportunity comes a- around for, I mean, granted, it's not as dire. Like we're talking like a Dustin Johnson has made $94 million right. on tour, right? So yeah. it's not like these guys are struggling to feed their families like back then. But it very much seems like a, uh, a a rare chance to try to negotiate against a a tour that is on a, that has really held down uh, what they're earning from the events. Now, this isn't talking about sponsorships. I'm, I'm sure Phil has made a bunch from that. But yeah, it, it it's super complicated because it's like, um, does anybody really know where their money's coming from? <laughs> again something i'm not you yeah. know like <laughs> like i'm not going to be like like a fucking jewish drummer on a podcast right now <laughs> trying to decipher where uh saudi money comes yeah. from for golf tournaments <laughs> jesus christ like that is a big fucking question that if you dig down you probably get fucking black bagged in any country you yeah. talk about it i i don't know but it's some shit way bigger than me yeah. I know bigger that. than us yeah bigger than us I mean, I think the one thing I personally just take away from this a lot and you saw it again with like, you know, the NBA and stuff like this is like, I I really can't hear the moral high ground argument from my government or corporations or these sports leagues at all anymore because it's so clear when people and businesses are willing to do business with things that are profitable and when they're profitable they are willing to let magnificently crazy things slide when it's not profitable (laughs) they're more than happy to demonize people and and really put them on lock and so i mean just just the fact that like so much of our money from from this country is going into places like you know china and you know, Saudi Arabia, some people make the argument Israel, like, you know, it's that's where we really have to, like, uh, not redefine who we are, but redefine the the pedestal we'd like to stand on. You know, unfortunately, I think that there's kind of no way back for these 17 golfers. 
But I, I think you're going to see that, you know, with with these TV contracts that the PGA is, is getting, um, a, a little bit of competition is going to make the prize pool go, go up. So I think that for the future of, of golfers is an exciting thing. But, yeah, super complicated here. Yeah, so tough spot for everybody involved. Very weird. Yeah. All right, Benny, let's get to some light stuff. Well, I mean, Please. people losing their jobs is, is never light stuff. Well, at least stuff. they're resigning. Yeah, you know? resigning. So <laughs> another tune-up tune update story. This past weekend, Quinn Snyder resigned as the head coach of the Utah Jazz. Uh, in the aftermath of Quinn Snyder's departure as Jazz coach, speculation popped up all over the place as all-star guard Donovan Mitchell is, quote, unsettled, unnerved, and wondering what this means for the future of the franchise so a whole bunch of things we talked a bunch about how how this was probably it for quinn snyder in uh in in utah but what will this mean for donovan mitchell and is he you know we we've talked a bunch about them having to choose uh between donovan mitchell and rudy gobert uh is, is this the, the indication that they're choosing to build around gobert rather rather than donovan mitchell no i don't think so yet yeah but if you if you asked me a month ago, how do you think Utah's offseason is going to pan out? I would have told you two of the three are leaving. Yeah. I don't know which like I know which one is going to leave. Quinn Snyder's leaving. The other one I'm not sure. And I'm still not sure. The thing I'm sure about is that Utah is fucking out of their minds nuts if they try to bring in a new coach and start this all over again with that mm. right like we've seen it it's run its course quinn snyder is a very good coach that could not get this over the hump he knew he couldn't get over the hump i think he knew they had their best chance maybe a year or two ago and didn't know how to bring this thing further than he could and he has to leave but i think utah is going to make the decision of who they want to stay with full time and i think that's more indicative of what's available to them as a result of both players. I, th I mean, I, if you ask me, I'm sure it would be a more popular pick to, to start it with Donovan Mitchell. Um, I, you know, the way I feel about Donovan Mitchell, yeah. I think he's a very good player mm -hmm. and I'd want him on my team, but I do not want him on my team as a number one. And I don't know if Donovan Mitchell is bringing, uh, a, a team you know on his own or just with a supporting cast like i think he needs to go somewhere with other complementary pieces and potentially a number one to survive i do still think you can build some bizarre weird team around rudy gobert you know like like that is more possible to me because of his very unique and specific thing he can do you can actually model like an entire team around that and try for a couple more years with something else. Um, so I think uh, Quinn Snyder leaving and the comments by, you know, Donovan Mitchell can be taken as either, you know, I'm out the door or Danny Ainge, like your feet are on the fire. Like you better do something, you know, like, um, but I, I don't think it's an automatic indication of anything yet. So there's a couple interesting things with Utah. I think people forget about the Dwayne Wade piece in Utah all the time now that he is is heavily involved there. And and he's a guy who a bunch of times throughout his career um, was, you know, talked about, 
oh, I'm going to leave. I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave. So I, I think if there's anybody on Utah's side that, that can kind of counsel Donovan into staying, it's him. But then also on, on the other side, we, we got to remember, he left to go to uh, Cleveland and then Chicago. Right. So it's like... Um, yeah, and our LeBron James <laughs> and Shaquille O'Neal coming to join him yeah, in Utah. Yeah, right. You know, no. that's the thing is like, yeah, you know, Dwayne Wade played in Miami. Yeah. Like he had a chance. Yeah. Like like Donovan Mitchell has no fucking chance. Yeah. Unless he drafts the player, <laughs> no one's going there. Yeah. No one's taking a big free agent contract from Utah. Like no one. So do you want to hear the interesting agency time? Because you know we talk a lot about how Clutch has their hands yes. on the Lakers. Yes. There's an interesting CAA. So who's puppet? Who's puppet mastering all this? CAA. I- Oh, there we go. So Donovan Mitchell, represented by CAA, mm. the this whole leak about him being unnerved came out by Adrian Wojnarowski, represented by CAA. Mm-hmm. And you know who Woj reported is up for the job? Johnny Bryant. And guess who he's represented by? Hmm. CAA. So yeah. Man, we got some of these agencies that are fully entrenched. So let's next time you hear me talking about Clutch making a move with the Lakers, this happens. Like IMG is entrenched in there, CAA is entrenched in there. So yeah, interesting. Yeah, I think what you're seeing here is like CAA has been around long enough that they don't attach names to their business. Yeah. You know, it's just this like all encompassing, (laughs) like, dark side thing that it just you know it comes from somewhere shady but you can't like blame anyone you can't be like oh this is rich paul this is scott boris you know like that's not how they operate so i think that's kind of like it's like how uh you know like 10 guys dressed on their own you know scare the shit out of people but a thousand people in uniform make you feel comfortable (laughs) for some reason it's kind of like one of those weird things, you know. And the last time the CIA pulls it off, the last time that they had a name like Leon Rose and World Wide West that were working for, they got them out the door, and now they're working. So yeah, CIA right. back to being covert ops. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're like the Blackwater of the NBA. <laughs> but I do actually think, though, real talk, though, I think that they may run back Donovan and Gobert for one more year for no wow. other reason, for no other reason. And the fact that All-Star Game next year, Salt Lake City. Oh, stop. Mar- you really think Marinate gonna- on that. Adam Silver Come makes on. it happen. No, no, I don't think so. Okay. Because no. you're going to go into the All-Star <laughs> break with, like, more than likely a bad situation. But You know it- what I mean? More than likely, Utah is going to be, like, you know, meddling, you know, a few games over 500 and, like, the five or six seed and... And people are having still having these conversations more intensely even then. I think they're nuts to start this season with the both of them. I, I don't th- the reason. I guess Danny Ainge kept Jalen Brown and Tatum together mm, for years yeah. when everyone told him to split them up, though. So you know they know better than we do. That and I think they want to get people to all star in Utah because it is a big event for the league. And man, dude, you're. You, if, if, if you get the home team, two All-Stars in there, they're not getting an All-Star back for either Danny, of these Danny, you've been guys. to Salt Lake? What? Once. You've been, you been there? Yeah. You know, I once I once had a show across the street. From the and arena. I was like, oh, I'm going to check out. Let's check out a jazz game, yeah. me and Ian Perkins. We were like late, 15 minutes late. I'm like, oh, just walked up to the box office. Hey, what's going on? 
Who are they playing? Oh, Kyrie, Cavs, great. LeBron's here, awesome. Oh, how much for tickets? Oh, that cheap? Wait, what? We can sit third row? We're late. This really happened there. I, I don't know, man. Like, it, I just don't. I don't know if I'm uh if I'm buying Salt Lake City as this long term destination. Oh no, that, I'm not saying long term. Just one year, and then okay. happens and out. Listen, these these leagues work in mysterious ways, but. Listen, I like the Salt Flats, too. Maybe the only person that'll go play there is Kyrie because he thinks, like, you know, some weird mystical shit about the Salt Flats. That might happen. <laughs> All right, Benny. So we have... Aggregate that. Aggregate that. Kyrie Irving's going to Utah for All Donovan right. Mitchell because he, he wants the mysterious uh, <laughs> mineral deposits of the Salt Flats to, to run into his gills. I'll send that right to Clay Travis. Um, <laughs> all right, next headline today, Benny. We got an NBA Finals happening. Uh, Great one. As we record right now, uh, Boston Celtics up two games to one. But there was a lot for the Golden State Warriors to digest after their 116-100 loss to the Celtics. One of these being the status of Steph Curry for the rest of this series. He went up against Al Horford, the two knocked knees. Um, Shams reported just before we started recording that there's optimism today that the Warriors star will be able to play in game four on Friday. Um, so, Benny, we had, what is your confidence in the Warriors being able to extend this series, come back, and, and win this thing if Steph is limited? I mean, Steph's limited. Forget about it. You yeah. know, like like that's that's the the motor that makes it all run. You know, like like we all know that. And and at this point, with the way Clay Thompson kind of comes in and out of games, and Dre comes in and out of games, like you know, Steph Curry really is like the only thing you can count on on an everyday basis on Golden State. And you can. He's still that good. Um, and I do think he's going to play through this. It seems like he will. Um, so I think Steph's going to be okay. And I do think Golden State's going to find a way to like continue this series and make it a series. But Boston has made this awfully fucking hard to come back from. And uh, can I make an admission to you, Denny? Yes, please do. This is really hard for me to do. I'm trying to be big about this. I think the, flower, the flowers yeah, are helping me. It's a good look. I kind of like this Boston team. Yeah. I don't want to say it. I don't want to ever say I like a Boston team. I see the green. I see the court. I see a little fucking leprechaun in the middle. I think of like Boston fans and like red beards and and just the smell of shit beer. And and I don't like it. Okay, I don't like what I'm saying right now. But I've been I've watched this team a lot this playoffs. You know, I obviously watched them sweep the Nets. You know, I, I was glued to the Bucks series. I was really interested in the Heat series. I am now. And you know what I like about this team? There's two things I like about it. A, it's a team put together the way we all want teams to be put together. We have to, like, admit that. These are, are drafted players, players who came up together, players who glued together for the most part. You know, obviously some additions and trades. But... You know, like, did you at any point in the last like five, six years, did you really think the trio of like Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart were going to win a finals? No. 
with like the teams that are around, I, I sure didn't. I really just didn't see this happening. And because of that, and because of the fact that they play D and they play together and they, they're really on a string out there, it's like a hard team not to like. You know, they're chippy, they get at people, and and they and they score in big moments, and I like them. The second thing I like about them is they're really like an imperfect team. Yeah. So which was like like at every point in every series. There was a couple times where I was like, oh, Boston like sucks again. They're done. And and it, not often do you get like a finals team that by this point in the finals, you kind of don't believe in them still sometimes. And you're like, what are they doing out there? It's it's like almost like they're like they're still like young and weird. And when when they put it all together, no one can beat them right now. And essentially because of that defense. So it's like uh, I kind of like the fact that they're like sort of vulnerable like that. They're not this like juggernaut and they can still fuck up all the time and they're constantly giving up leads and getting back into games. It's kind of like exciting, you know. So this is my admission, Denny. I, you know, as much as I love Steph Curry, you know, I, I think I preferred Clay Thompson two years ago when he was a lot happier. He's angry this series. Yeah. It's bumming me out. I get why. And I get why. And I get he wants to be, you know, still taken at the level he, he was. And he's giving it everything. But I wish he was, you know, running a little more joy in his game right now. So I'm not going to say I'm rooting for Boston. But this is, a, you know, you know me. Yeah. This is a big admission for yeah. me to say at any point I, I am rooting kind of for a Boston or Philly team. You know, it's just it's in my blood. Let me ask you this, because this is something that I've been feeling with the finals the last few years. I, I When we got those Warriors teams versus LeBron, that yeah. is about as good of a finals as, as as you can hope. Like Especially that last one, the level uh, of basketball was so high. Epic. That yeah. It's so hard watching these finals now. And it's almost like when you see like a great movie and, and you're like, like this is perfection. Like 100% on, on Rotten Tomatoes. Give it the Oscar right now. And then they like try to make these like sequels and they try to make a sequel every year. And it's just like, it's not what it was. And it, it's well, just... Yeah. Those but that'll come again, you know, like yeah. this is like, like, think about those series, yeah. you know, you had like literally like four or five, six of the top hundred players of all time at their peaks. Yeah. Crazy. You know what I mean? Like that, that doesn't happen often. Yeah. And there's these random times in basketball history where two juggernauts meet at one time and create these like epic series. And it's not going to happen every year, but it will happen again. You know, I don't think uh, the time of that is over or something like that. I think we just hit, you know, another one of those points and, and you hit these points, you know, what was the year Detroit won? you know, was, was that sexy? (laughs) Is there a reason, you know, nobody talks about Houston winning for two years (laughs) in the nineties because they were kind of like a grinded out team, you know, like posting it down to Hakeem and like, you know, like not as sexy as watching Michael Jordan go out there and fight people. Yeah. So I think this happens all the time, you know. It actually pains me this series watching these like clay possessions where he's trying yeah. to do the thing that we've I seen know. him do so many times and it's just bricking. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, like. But he has to. That's what yeah. sucks. It's like it's not like he's. I don't think he's overexerting in his series because if he's not doing it, who's doing that? Like yeah. they need that element of their game to get past Boston. And, 
you know, he looked, he looked pretty good last night, a little better, but I think the, you know, how can you expect a guy coming back from an injury like that to, you can expect them to score and you can expect them to get out there, but you can't expect them to be like a 35, 40 minute, you know, two way juggernaut, which he he was four or five years ago. You know, that's maybe, maybe next year, but sometimes it takes, it takes a little bit to, to get back from these injuries a little stronger, you know? And you know, what's funny. Like we're talking about clay like this and he still went for 25 points, but most of that was early on. And like down the stretch, they kind of needed him to hit some of those buckets and they just bricked. So I don't know. It's hard. And yeah, that, so so what do you think? Is is Golden State getting back into the series? I got I've got to stick by principle to Warriors and six, but it's looking awfully hard. Like <sighs> I think that they're gonna have to win three games before. Yeah, well, I mean, I to, mean to, yeah. to get Warriors and six, they're I gonna mean, have to sweep Jesus the next Christ. three. I don't know how I feel about that, but you know, you got to stick <sighs> with it. I'm not gonna be Kendrick Perkins out here. All right. Well, I had Boston in seven, and I I might <laughs> I might beat my own prediction by. Going, going to six games, but we'll see. I so, what do you expect out here in Game Four? Uh, well, well, do you want to get to the Draymond piece of all of this? Because I, I, I think that this is actually a really interesting cultural moment for athletes, and there's a reason why David Stern had the kibosh on any sort of media or anything during NBA Finals in years gone by. Because when you get people talking directly after, this is this is unprecedented. So I got to split this up into a, a two-part question for you. Uh, yeah. Take the fan out of it, the consumer of content out of it. Yeah. Is a guy like Draymond, you know, being able to talk his shit on his podcast and then getting pissed when people are like, fuck you in person, is this good for the league? Because it's like kind of a gray area. Again, I think I brought this up a couple weeks ago and it's yeah. where I stand now. Good for the league, bad for the league doesn't matter it's happening yeah so so the league has to adjust to how this is going to go like players are directing their own narrative and the only avenue the league would have is to start to fine and suspend players for what they're saying on their own personal podcasts and stuff that is murky fucking territory that i don't think they're willing to go down unless something really like you know inflammatory comes out of one of these things or something. But if it's just a player on there talking shit about other players, talking shit about the game, irking other players for the sake of doing it is every right to. And I think it's going to continue. You think Draymond's the last guy who's going to start a podcast fucking nuts. Um, So I I think regardless, it's going to happen. Is it good or bad for the league? don't know uh i think it's interesting i think it does add to the soap operatic you know leanings the league is going where people are more interested in team building and player movement and behind the scenes stuff often than basketball uh especially in the regular season so i don't know it might be good for like the product as an entertainment product, but I don't think it's good for the product as a game product. See, okay, let me look at this from the league and the team perspective. And I was an advocate for this in like 2016, like like the 2015 region. Back then, these team, every team should have been a league mandate, should have started a podcast after every game. Two guys go on there, doesn't matter whoever they give you for media availability, they should have just gone on there and talked 
about it. Then they would have gotten that platform. Teams would have had these IP. That would have prevented all of this that you're happening now. Now it's out of control. Now you can't really control this. And you, you've kind of got to live with what the consequences are. And maybe that's the point. Um, I find it hard to believe that this would have gone like unnoticed by the commissioner and the league office because they notice everything. And I say that having working from a league partner station, they notice yeah. everything. Of course. So it's got to be part of what I talked about a couple of weeks ago with the NFL trying to encroach on Christmas. They're trying to win the everyday ground game in hopes that that's going to rise all of the boats in, in the league. And it's either going to work or it's gonna, they're going to die trying. You know, the thing too, man, is like not everyone's willing to be the heel. Yeah. You know, like like Draymond might be selling podcasts right now, but he's also making people hate him. And he's going to have a large group of people who hate him. Yeah. Pat Beverly is the same thing. But these guys are like they've half like built their careers on being professional heels. They know how to piss people off. They know how to get their names into the headlines. And that's kind of what they do. And not everyone's going to be like that. Like like Draymond Green has a very unique personality. You don't see you know, a hundred Draymond Greens in the league right now. Like, like you see very few who have his kind of energy, have his kind of personality and also can articulate it the way he can, you know, he's, he's a unique guy. So I don't think it's like totally going to run rampant, you know? Um, but the, the days of, um, other people and media departments and stuff shaping a player's personal narrative is just fucking over, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it, it's going to be interesting. And in that vein, last absolute thing before we get out of here, can we give a shout-out to Anthony Edwards? Oh. Oh, my gosh. Ant-Man made his theatrical debut in Adam Sandler's Hustle on Netflix. Go check it out. Great movie. Um, You want to talk about a guy who could be a heel for, like, the next decade? <laughs> Ant-Man, I love this. I didn't know he's going to be. He can't be a heel. He the closest he can be to a heel is like in like a Shaquille O'Neal way because he's yeah. too funny and people will let someone funny get away with like all sorts of yeah. shit. And he's still so young and he seems to have such a good sense of like the whole thing. I think we're along for a uh, a great ride with the Ant-Man for the next 10 years. I'm for it. Oh. man. I, I fucking love this kid. What a tremendous Wancho too. Yeah. Wancho. Great, great actor. Great. You you he's almost great. think that he's more of, of an actor than a basketball player in this, but, uh, love that. See, I like, yo, <laughs> lockdown defense is what gets him noticed. Come on. <laughs> I'd love it. I love it. I just, I was so surprised. Cause like, we know Anthony Edwards from all of these, like, like funny clips during his like interviews, but he was like a proper villain in this movie getting <laughs> under Wancho's skin and you rooted against him. And I was like, this incredible shout out to Adam Sandler for seeing that in him. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's great. It's great. All right. Plenty of ways to get in contact with the show. You can email us at the tune podcast, gmail.com to peas in there. If you want to follow us on all the social platforms, we are at the tune up HQ on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel and uh, rate and review wherever you listen to your podcast. That helps a lot. Uh, if you want to follow the big man on Twitter, he is at Benny Horowitz1, number one in your mind, number one in your heart, number one on Twitter. I'm at Denny underscore Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? Yeah, I'm filled with love today, baby. And if you get some poison ivy, guess what works? You got to fucking blow dry that shit. The show has ended. Go in peace. You've been listening to The Tune-Up. <laughs>